what's going on guys i'm your host stefan i am very 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 excited today i will be having a wonderful conversation with a wonderful person dr don carpenter this is probably one of my favorite episodes i say that a lot in almost every episode but every episode is my favorite episode in this episode we talk about contributive justice what it is what it isn't we talked about capitalism and the culture of consumerism what theology teaches us about corporate responsibility one thing i personally learned from this conversation is as a as a business owner as a consumer myself is how to go about doing things ethically how to consume ethically how to produce ethically as well i think you can definitely learn one of two things from this episode and it was a very fun conversation for me and i hope you enjoy it and here's dr carpenter hey good morning good morning (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me uh yeah i'm dr dawn by uh uh, some people, I'm uh, Hey You by others. I'm Professor Carpenter, but just call me Dawn. I, um, I'm an escapee from Wall Street who <laughs> had a moment of reflection that said, how do I become a better banker? So I went and kind of dug deep and went back and got a doctorate in what in ethics, basically, in, in a pursuit of uh, trying to find out what God had to say about the nature of work and the responsibilities of wealth, which really puts me kind of out there in the investment banking world. But I always had this intuitive understanding that wealth was so much more than the accumulation of what we have in our bank account. So here I am having this fine conversation with you talking about fitness. Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm super excited, actually. And thank you for doing this. I will really want to start at, I want to draw a link between theology and fitness. Do you see any sort of like link between the the, the two? uh... Well, yes, absolutely yes. But I guess I would probably start with what um, kind of is your general thinking about what theology is. And I'm I'm not going to interview you and put you on the spot. I'm on the other side of the (laughs) microphone this time. but uh, sometimes it's better, in my view, to kind of start with a basic understanding of things. When I hear you ask that question, mm-hmm. what I hear is with an eye, kind of with a, a religious sensibility, or because theology means something different to different people. Mm-hmm. People, different people might have grown up in certain faith traditions, maybe no faith tradition at all. Mm-hmm. But theology is really the study of faith. Um, and faith is this understanding of our belief in things that we cannot prove. Mm. It's like you think of, uh, I think of fitness and it's like science. It's like, I know, what is your BMI? Yeah, it's you very facts driven. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And theology is not. I mean, there are certain historical things that we, we look to archaeology, we look to anthropology um, to kind of help us understand those historical facts. Mm-hmm. But in theology, we're really studying. Uh, how we understand within a certain community of believers how we translate our experience in the world and what the world may look like when there is no world for us anymore because we all get are born and we don't get out of this uh, experience alive. So something's going to happen, either nothing, which some people believe, or something truly extraordinary, which other people believe. And so when you ask me to put the two together, like the theology and fitness, 
I look, you know, within my faith tradition, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Christian tradition um, that basically says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that is fitness, you know, body, you know, and soul. Um, because from what I understand in talking to people who are far fitter than I am, there's a tremendous importance of the mental side yeah, yeah. Uh, of fitness. And so for me, that is the how we think about, you know, the soul. Um, so when you put the two together, you know, I start with this whole idea of being a temple. Um, we can talk about the Holy Spirit and all that stuff if you want to go there. But uh, to answer your question, I think that the body and the soul are connected. And um, so that's how I would think about putting those two things together. Yeah, I, th- I think you mentioned like the body is the temple. So it's like more of like my style of like training is like looking at the entire person. So like it's not just about a workout because anybody can give you a workout. But it's like, are you sleeping good? Are you feeling good? Mm-hmm. You know, so all the other stuff. So I care more about the 23 hours the the client or the person is not with me. Those are the things that I care about more because that will be huge contributing factor to the success of that client or that person. So I, I like that uh that that idea. Oh, you know, it it I I work in the the business and economic sphere, mm-hmm. and we have kind of a similar thing going on. It's like. You go to your worship experience, maybe if you're uh, consistent about it one day a week, sometimes, you know, there are those of us who are super achievers and are are there more frequently. But um, the point is, it's like, well, what happens when you leave that environment, you know, the other, you know, whatever amount of hours of of your existence? And it's like, how do you bridge the two and make them part of the whole? Mm -hmm. So I hear that... um, but, uh, you're doing that in, in your world. <laughs> yeah, I am. I want to talk about uh, something really interesting, and it's something that you have a lot more knowledge. You're a lot more knowledgeable on than I am. Contributive justice. So I guess I want to start with what is contributive justice. Yeah, and why would you talk be talking to me about but, it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, first off, I would say to your listeners, we've just experienced a year or so of very intense social change in our country and globally, quite frankly. And it's, I would argue, it's still going on. Um, you know, we're one of, in my view, one of these pivot times in, in history. And in that sense, we. You know, as we kind of go through and think about these things deeply, for me, this was part of my uh, doctoral work. I said I escaped Wall Street or left Wall Street for this um, uh, sabbatical, if you will, to to get a deeper understanding of things. And in that work, I was looking through a theological lens, as I mentioned, about what does God have to say about work and wealth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about these kinds of things, um, in my mind, you need to frame it or give it a, a point of reference. And so my point of reference was, who am I as a person? It's like, I know who Dawn is, right? Yeah. Um, but who am I like existentially, like in my being, who am I? And what I came up with, and it wasn't me, really, I kind of uncovered it in my in my research, and your listeners may be familiar with this. It's uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King had this concept that we were co-workers with God, yeah. which means we are we have a duty uh, because of that being our vocation or our function as human beings uh, to be co-workers to kind of manage life. And it's like, well, we don't manage life by ourselves, right? We, you don't walk around, walk down the street, just you know, the world exists just because you're there. It's like you're in community with other people. 
Uh, it might be your work community or your uh, neighborhood community, or it might be your family or, you know, intimate relationships. You know, there are all different kinds of ways to be in community. And when you're in community, there's this idea of justice. Mm -hmm. And justice is simply, you know, in its basic sense of things is, you know, what is our duty to others? Because we're all in relation to each other. So what do we owe each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of ways to think about justice. Justice is this huge word. And so scholars over time have tried to break it down. It's like, well, what's this dimension of justice? What's this dimension of it? So you may have heard things like social justice, mm-hmm. restorative justice, mm-hmm. uh, communicative justice, uh, you know, so there are all these different dimensions of how you can understand a component of justice. And in my research, again, I was looking at like this idea of wealth and and work and all of this. And so I said, you know, with this idea of being a co-worker, there's a dimension of justice here. Yeah. It's a principle that goes beyond. Um, and so in my work, that's what I worked on. I worked on this idea of contributive justice. And contributive justice, if you want to think about it in its simplest sense, it's a dimension of justice that has two components, both a right and a duty or an obligation. And what is that? It's to contribute to the development of ourself mm-hmm. and also to the, the development of other people for the purpose of flourishing. Mm. And so when we think about flourishing, there are all kinds of ways we can flourish. And you can tell us all about it <laughs> in, in the work that you do. But contributive justice has another side, which is the opposite, which is injustice. Mm. And so we think about all the ways as people we're marginalized or excluded. Those are injustices from a contributive, well, from any sense, but from a contributive justice perspective, they're injustices to the extent that they prohibit us from developing to be who we can be. And so when we don't develop who we can be, we kind of rob everybody else of benefiting from you know what we could do to help them on their own journey, yeah. And so you know these are the things that I think about and read on the beach, you know. So it's <laughs> like, oh, it's like, well, what does this mean in the world and and all of that? And so um, that's in a sense, in a nutshell, what contributive justice is. It's this right and obligation to uh, develop to our fullest and to help others do the same. And our societies should be measured by their ability to help us all do that. And so having safe communities, having access to healthy foods that, you know, that are accessible, but also affordable, yeah. um, having a place to live, having access to an education if you want to avail yourself of it. I think one of the things that maybe sometimes we overlook is this idea of agency. It's like, I'm not saying that we should live in, you know, a, a society where one lever of society says, I'm going to provide this for you. It's here. You don't have to work for it. Because I think there's something beautiful in the idea of work. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you if you could have like a, a great physique or a great body and not have to do anything for that, it. That would be amazing, right? It'd be amazing. <laughs> but think about what that would rob you of. Yeah. It would rob you of the ability to have self-discipline, yeah. self-control. It probably would decrease your joy i mean think of the i'm not again i'm not a this is like true confessions it's like i'm i need your services as a trainer but it's like the you know there's this joy i mean i just um you know i've i've felt it in times in my life where fitness has been you know part of an important goal 
and there's a joy in achieving a fitness goal. So if you just had this given to you, you'd rob yourself of the ability to choose to do that for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, diminishes who you are as a person. Yeah. You're talking about something about flourishing. And I, I use this saying, right? Sometimes I'll tell my clients I need to pour into my own cup to be able to pour into theirs. And it's like more of it's it's about like me like educating myself about something or uh, me just taking that week off or weekend off or or whatever that that situation is because for me to be a better trainer or a better person for them I need to take care of myself to to develop myself so I see that kind of like uh, link between the the two that's which is really interesting. Oh yeah, you look back at my profession as an investment banker where we are notorious. I mean, it's getting better, I mean, but not so much. Um, but we're like type A workaholics. And it's like, this that's not sustainable for a flourish. If you want to, if you desire to have a flourishing life. I mean, you, you may have a flourishing bank account. Yeah. But what is the Beatles? Is money can't buy you love? Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's like, but, you know, I'm I by all means, I, I think people should do what they love and that brings them joy and you know, you'll be compensated in so many ways um, financially it will help you develop your the vir your virtues it will help you just be a better person yeah so like in today's society like there's a lot of like entrepreneurs out there there's a lot of like on instagram tiktok like a fitness people selling stuff to consumers and stuff like that. So how can a fitness person like myself and maybe some other fitness people that might be listening, how can they practice, or anybody for the, for example, how can they practice contributive justice in today's capitalist society? Oh, wow. Well, let me see. Let me say it this way. Capitalism is a way we organize the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's this idea that there are private actors who own things. Yeah. There was a time in history where that was not broadly distributed, where there was such concentration of those who owned the means of production mm -hmm. um, that the only thing most people could do was live off their labor and it was just to subsist. So capitalism has changed the world dramatically um, in good ways, but also very bad ways. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we see it now with a heightened understanding of inequality, market failures. I don't know of, I, I suspect, you know, your listeners had in one way or another been, you know, impacted by obviously COVID. Yes, yes. But before that, um, the mortgage meltdown in 2008, which dramatically changed you know, our country. And dare I say, damage the environment, you know, capitalism, you know, s square one. And then there's this short-term orientation. And um, and then it goes back to what you're asking me about, which is this excessive materialism. You know, so how, how do the two, like, coalesce? Yeah. I mean, if what capitalism desires is to make a profit, yeah. and I think that that's a good thing, mm -hmm. um, because if we didn't have excess capital, how could we ever help other people? You know, so that's not really where I'm going with this. But the idea is that it shouldn't be, in my view, capitalist profit at um, all costs. Mm -hmm. So there's developing, and I'm really excited about this, there's developing this idea of shared value mm -hmm. where there is a, um, a better distribution of the profits of an enterprise so that it more equally um, balances the contribution of everyone or every party that makes that profit possible. Mm -hmm. Because right now, 
uh, we have witnessed extreme dislocation of allocation of profits. So yeah. there are organizations that say, you know, CEO makes 250 times the amount of your average worker. That puts tremendous stress on people. And you probably see it in the gym. It's like, <laughs> like how do we work out this stress? Yeah. You know, so I think that there's a lot we can do when we start to understand really what's what are the levers driving these things. Mm -hmm. And so so that's where I see this big idea of contributive justice filtering its way down to change mindsets. Yeah. And it's not so much, I want to take something that you have. It's like, I want to participate more in what we have built together. And so that's what it's all about. Yeah. And and I also, too, like, I feel like with capitalism, I think it drives like like entrepreneurship a lot. And now in the fitness part of it, you see like people, I don't have no, like you see people selling like, you know, like waist trainers. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm you, laughing because <laughs> I bought some of that crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like those sell like, you know, like detox tea and, and, and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So I'm guessing like, do, do those people have some sort of like ethical responsibility to to do more research on their part before they, in some way, they are kind of like setting, uh, selling something that doesn't work. Do they have to do some sort of like ethical, like think, like thinking about how ethical this uh, product is or their services are? Or well, hell yes. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's think about it. Um, you know, they, these types, if you will, have yeah. been around forever. Uh, I mean, you think about, you know, I'll just wind the clock back 100 years. I mean, you know, the people on the back of wagons selling potions and lotions yeah. and all of these things are, you know, when the early days of advertising, when television came, you know, they had, the, if any of your listeners have watched Mad Men, you know, it's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you remember the waist sizer or whatever? It's just like shook your waist and yeah. it's like supposed to melt off the pounds. I'm like, there are, there's an entire industry of advertisers who exist to sell us stuff that we don't need. Yeah. You know, I'm the same person who will forego, well, not totally forego, because I like the way some of it smells, but, you know, beauty <laughs> products that promise, you know, anti-wrinkling and all of this. And, you know, when it comes down to it, what I love the most is witch hazel, which you can buy for $1.50 in the Safeway, <laughs> and almond oil, um, which you can probably get at, you know, Whole Foods for $2. Um, and that's, you know, my beauty regimen. And it's like, um, I think the same thing in fitness. It's like, go out and do some yard work or yeah. take a walk around the block yeah. or those kind of things. But, you know, in COVID, you look at look at the exponential growth in the um, share price of Peloton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen to Peloton as the world opens up um, to see if the, that craze is still there. But the technology is really cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Or those mirrors, you know, it's like uh, there's always going to be something. Yeah. The, you know, those are your problems to figure out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> One thing I'm noticing though, in the gym, people now are bringing their um, phones to the gym and you see like they will be watching other people like doing the exercise uh, on their phone. So I think this is just my opinion. I think gyms should probably like start to get into the virtual world or they might be like uh 
Blackbuster when uh, Netflix uh, showed up. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I, I think t- tech is changing every aspect of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just at a, I brought a group to give a presentation at a shareholders meeting uh, at a big oil company this week. And it was all done virtually. Mm-hmm. And so we had voices from five different continents in this two-minute presentation that never would have flown to this small town in California to be at the shareholder meeting. But, you know, technology makes it possible. And um, I love WhatsApp. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's terrible for my sleep patterns because everybody from everywhere, you know, thinks it's their time of the day. But, you know, you're right. It's 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 transform. You're seeing it in in fitness. All definitely, definitely. Would you say that uh, consumerism is a is a poor choice made by individuals because there's so much out there? Like if you go to like a store, for example, there's the different choices of different things and and and. There's so many options. So would you say that consumerism is like a poor choice we may make as uh, individuals? Well, what I'll say is you're probably familiar with the um, the brand Supreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 everybody for sure. knows yeah, Supreme. Yeah. They're Supreme, right? Well, I don't know if you guys if you know this story, but the the logo of Supreme, the uh, the red iconic red and white, that is modeled after um, a piece of art by this woman named Barbara Kruger. And Barbara in the 60s, I think it was, was really interested in this idea of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, there's something about this idea of consumption and just acquiring stuff that's really wrong. And so she expressed this as an artist in a beautifully simple piece of art. It's a picture of a hand. Mm -hmm. And in the hand, there's a little square. It's red and white that says, I shop therefore I am. And what that refers back to, if anyone ever studied philosophy, there's a philosopher named Rene uh, Descartes Mm -hmm. who had this insight about human existence. He wanted to find a way to prove that we exist. This is what, you know, this is what they were doing for fun. They're sitting around, they're like, how do I prove that I exist? Like, oh, I pinch myself. I, I feel, therefore I exist. What Descartes said was, I think therefore I exist. Mm. And so here, all these years later, this artist, you know, Barbara Kruger says, I shop, therefore I exist. I don't, she doesn't believe that, but she's identifying something in culture, in the world, talking about this kind of twist of how we understand ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so are you going to put the blame on the consumer? Well, some, they're the end, like, person at the end of this long food chain. Yeah. But I think I go back to where I, you know, where I was going when we were talking about advertising. It's like there's this whole industry that, you know, these consumers are competing against, right? It's like you've got all this massive amounts of money, time, talent, and treasure that I talk about in, you know, uh, contributive justice is flourish, all the things that we need to do to flourish as human beings. Mm-hmm. Well, they're flourishing big time, right? As yeah. adver- They're really good at advertising. But what's the impact? The impact is, in my view, a negative, in many ways, a negative impact um, because you're not really, quote unquote, in my view, free mm-hmm. to make these decisions when you've got so much kind of bombarding you. Yeah. But you do have to exercise, you know, your own moral agency and say, you know, I should have, you know, some self-control, some prudence about what I'm buying and maybe take that little bit of extra time 
that it takes to do a little bit of homework yeah. on what you're buying. I mean, just look at in the fitness industry, right? You know, these big brands yeah. and all the campaigns that have gone on over the years to kind of put morality around what goes on around these uh, fitness brands. Yeah. And, you know, I think of the sweatshops and the campaigns against the sneaker companies and, you know, all of that. And I think that that kind of awareness is really good. But they're going to keep making this stuff when, you know, as long as there are people out there wanting to buy it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and also, too, when you're talking about the consumption and, and just being bombarded by information or, you know, uh, campaigns and stuff like that, I also think about Instagram. Now, Instagram and social media is like a huge way to like market. And most times when even I catch myself sometimes when I'm just sitting doing nothing, I'm like watching what other fitness people are doing or, you know, seeing what's out there. I'm seeing funny videos and stuff like that. I think and you know, listening to what you were saying right now, sometimes just taking back and just like because subconsciously we're, we're kind of like comparing, right? Like especially now it's like when we're a weekend we're recording this, you see a lot of people like on the beach somewhere doing this, doing that. And you might not think about it now, but you start comparing yourself to that individual, that person, or you're consuming something without even really knowing that you are uh, consuming it. So that's it's really interesting. Oh, yeah. There were dystopian writers that came generations before us that were writing these, quote unquote, science fiction kind of stories, and we're living it. And so technology, I think, is a very, very good thing. But it also facilitates, you know, things that are, you know, not so great. I mean, that's the truth about money, too, right? It's like, you know, this idea of people will say money is the root of all evil. Well, actually, if you go back to the theology, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money mm. that's the root of all evil. And so maybe we'll say the same thing about technology. It's like technology isn't evil. It's the love of the technology in, in terms of meaning at all costs, you know, push it to its limits. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And. In terms of a corporation, would you say that corporations have a social responsibility to uh, mitigate the issue of consumerism? Like, do they, instead of, like, putting a lot of, like, advertisement out there or, like, just pushing a certain type of product, uh, do you, you feel like, because there's certain companies don't really advertise much. So do you, what do you feel like there's the responsibility, so social responsibility of, like, anybody or a corporation to push a product? Wow, that's a big question. We could have like a whole podcast series <laughs> about this. Well, you know, I guess what I'd say, you know, in the context of this conversation, the truth of the matter is corporations are aggregates of people. Mm -hmm. And over the, if, if you want to get real nerdy about it, I mean, the, there is a, go back, go to my podcast. I've, I've done some interviews with scholars who talk about the legal history of how corporations have gained rights. Yeah. So pretty much in the American legal system, corporations are treated as persons. Well, when you look at rights and responsibilities, so I like the, to think that they're like equally balanced, where if we're given a basket of rights, we should also have a basket of responsibilities or duties. Because remember, we started this conversation, it's like all about justice or duty. So the two of them should to, should meet, but I can't remember who the guy was. But back in the 1800s, in a famous uh, legal case, you know, there was a uh, an attorney who made an argument that said, you know, look, corporations are, you know, amorphous. There's no butt to kick or, you know, soul to damn. Um, they're just these legal fictions. Yeah. So in a sense, that's. I mean, it, it's true, um, but they are made up of people, and people, you know, again, with this theological lens, in my view. 
you know, there's going to be a day where we're going to come to an account. Yeah. And it's like, what do you want your story to say? There are clearly people who don't have that view, who say, you know, this is the one life we have. And when it's over, it's over. So I'm not going to orient myself that way. And so, you know, my friends like to say, Don, you're the apostle to the billionaires, you know, trying to say that there's there's more to this more to life than just this life. And so I'll keep talking about it to anybody who wants to listen. But, um, you know, going back to this right and responsibility of companies, I just think if you strip all of that stuff away, the theology, and you look at it as a, a, a business person, mm-hmm. what is in the long-term value proposition of your company when you exploit your workers, when you damage the environment, sometimes to the extent that it can't be repaired mm-hmm. or won't be repaired, or you know, is adding to this um, increasingly—I don't even know what adjective to use anymore. Climate change has gotten so out of control. Mm-hmm. But when when your business is a part of all of that, it's not good. And it's like, as a long-term, long investor, as we say in the stock market, mm-hmm. I want to invest in something that's good mm-hmm. uh, because that's what will um, keep and hold its value and so I don't know what the answer is but I'm going to be much more inclined to buy a piece of athletic wear from a company who is thinking about the moral activities of their supply chain you know where do where do they source their materials who's assembling and building and sewing their products. So for me, it's driven by the consumer, but it's also driven by iconic brands. I think of like um, Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. They are so, their brand is so wrapped into their core values that, you know, consumers are drawn to them because of that and they're loyal. Their products are not cheap. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're high quality products and there's a brand whose story they want to support. And so that's how I'd answer that question. I was talking to my friend the other day and I was telling her, I was like, I love a good story. I don't know if you know about all birds. They make their shoes from uh, uh, recyclable materials, from like natural materials and stuff like that. So I love a good story. So I I can see, I love Patagonia, by the way. I have one jacket. I mean, that's all I can afford. But exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're going to, this podcast is going to go viral. You're going to, you're going to be, you know, training um, people that you're going to buy as much Patagonia, Patagonia stuff as you want. <laughs> Thank you. I was also uh, looking, as we were talking, I was thinking about addressing the issue of uh, food deserts, especially like in the DC area, right? Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of, especially in like low income area, there aren't a lot of like, healthy, cheap food in certain areas. But then again, uh, in certain areas, you have like a, the access to like a lot of like really good grocery stores, cheap food and, and all that type of stuff. Do you think that the government or maybe people or corporations should be addressing um, the issue of uh, food deserts within our communities? Oh, absolutely. Because as you know, you didn't put it out there, but because it's probably just so much part of the way you think about things. But food is the fuel that, you know, enables our body to do what it it does. And it's so important. I had uh, my podcast now is called What Does It Profit? It comes from the idea of what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Mm -hmm. So I'm out looking for the angels of capitalism. Well, that wasn't my first podcast project. My first podcast project was a show called More Than Money. And on that show, 
I had a guy named Jeff Brown. Mm -hmm. And Jeff is a fourth generation grocer from Philadelphia who owns a, a company called ShopRite. Mm -hmm. And they're in grocery stores that go into these food deserts. Mm -hmm. And they do it before they do it, they have a very disciplined process of getting to know the community. So they'll identify um, these food deserts, and there are statistical ways to uh, map this out, and there are organizations who uh, do this kind of work. So uh, Jeff and those other grocers who work in the uh, food desert um, area you know, are accustomed to kind of working collaboratively. And part of this collaborative process is to do um, – uh, charrettes or do these um, community meetings to find out what's needed in the community. You need bananas and you know state milk, uh, certain staples, but then there are cultural uniquenesses of different neighborhoods, and that's what I loved in talking to Jeff. He said um, in one of his uh, communities in Philadelphia, they had um, immigrants from certain parts of the world. Yeah. Well, you could have, you know, we're talking about being in D.C., so our big chains are Safeway and, and Giant yeah. and, you know, a whole cadre of others. But there are certain things that you can find in those grocery stores um, that um, find in, you know, Ohio or, you know, Florida, wherever, you know, California, wherever. But in Jeff's um, experience, his stores have been very successful because they focused on bringing in products that are unique to those types of communities, whether they're black and brown communities from different regions of our country or if they're from different parts of the world, mm -hmm. certain spices that it's like, okay, if I just had access to that spice or that kind of vegetable or whatever, um, it connects culturally with you know those communities and it's really enabled him to be successful. So yes, there's a huge problem in D.C. And it's it's definitely in uh, lack of grocery stores. But I'll tell you, even in I live in a very affluent part of Washington, D.C., and I look at what we're being charged mm -hmm. for. Well, I don't know, you use any, you know, tomato, yeah. you know, and you go into a tomato. So I'm I'm in the northwest part of the city. Mm -hmm. You go to the northeast part of the city. That same tomato is priced differently. Yeah. And it's like, well, Good. So why can't everybody, you know, benefit, you know? Yeah. So there are inequities all through the spectrum. But, you know, let's start where it's most important, which is let's get people access to a healthy plate. Yeah. Because once your body is functioning, you know, you don't I mean, you know this. It's like the chronic problems of diabetes and hypertension and all kinds of other types of medical issues that don't have to be that way if um, there was access to the food, but also food education. Yeah, yeah. Um, knowing how to cook. Uh, and I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> but I'm getting better because I, I mentioned to you as we were getting to know each other, it's like this has been a healthier for me. So I went radically different eating style. Um, and it's I feel so much better. Yeah. Um, and everybody should have the ability to feel good. And, and you've been pretty active, too. Uh, when I was listening to the podcast, you sent me. You've been rollerblading. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Old school. Old school. Yeah, the, the four-wheelers. Yes. That's, <laughs> for my 50th birthday, my children bought me a uh, pair of old-style uh, rollers, pink. No, no. The uh, Yeah, the skates are pink and the laces are yellow. Um, but we, because I have... All right, I, I'm pulling back the kimono. <laughs> because I have this tremendous fear of rats, um, we live in a part of town that you know is overrun by rats. Um, and uh, so I'm like, okay, let's pull out all the vegetation and let's put in uh, hardscape. 
So it's been great during the pandemic because, well, I don't get my vegetables. I wouldn't have planted them anyway because they attract rats. Uh, this is urban living extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> but it makes a great roller skating rink. And so I put on my earbuds and I listen to 80s music and I do my thing. And I have to tell you, my birthday was in January and we had a mild January. So after uh, my birthday, the next day, I uh, went out in the back and um, started doing this. And I was so sore. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is horrible. But it, horrible, but great, because I knew that I was sore because my body was saying, you need this and you've been ignoring me and I'm, you know, I'm back at you. Um, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm roller skating. That's, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I know, but my family won't let me do it in public. <laughs> like, a, you can do it in the backyard. But, but not yet. Yeah. Maybe at some point you're going to graduate to the to going outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, that's the thing. We had all been working inside because of COVID. And I've got uh, four kids, two are stepchildren who are grown and have their own um, families outside of the D.C. area. But we have two still at home, one in high school and one in college. And my husband works at home now because of COVID because his office is actually in another state. Mm -hmm. And um, so here I was. And imagine the broadband, uh, the, the, uh, the Wi-Fi usage in our our house and it, I'm in media so it just doesn't work so I finally said I've got to get an office outside of the house and so I figured okay what is a good location for the office so I'm like okay what's walkable and so it's about a mile um, from my house to my office and uh, I don't do it as much as I should because I'm lugging around you know all you know files and a computer and all that that's my excuse um, <laughs> but uh, yeah but that was part of the thinking no that's pretty good that's a good start uh, at least you you were taking you know steps by being active and you're doing something that you really like doing. So that's that's what I would uh, recommend. Yeah. Well, and you know this, you can't get people to work out unless they enjoy it. Yes, yes, for sure. And, <laughs> and uh, it's convenient. Yeah, and maybe uh, uh, after this podcast, not today, but we can get a workout in or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's my prize. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was I have another question as well, right? Yeah, so, sure. Uh, how can companies draw like a fine line of like uh, financial performance and socially responsible, or practice all of some of the things that we just discussed, like contributive justice or something around those lines? It's really hard. I mean, I mentioned this experience this week with a major oil company and. Why do people invest in oil companies when they know they trash the environment? Mm -hmm. Because most people have kind of gotten to the point where they understand that. Mm -hmm. It's because they spit off dividends. Mm -hmm. And they're, it's like an ATM. It's like you put your your uh, money in and you know that every year you're going to get this consist pretty much. I mean, if you look at their histories of big oil companies, uh, they're just dividend generators. So it's like, how do you get people or companies um, to, because the people who own the shareholders, they're they're benefiting from the dividends, but the CEOs and managers who are, you know, compensated very well, they benefit because they keep this engine going. It's like, well, how do you stop that? Well, you'd be crazy to stop that, but for the idea that we all have a duty that we owe each other. And, you know, to me, it goes back to that lens of, of contributive justice. So it's it's a balance. And I think the only way it really works is if we look at different ways to orient our companies. And so there's been a big move the last any number of years to um, look at alternative business structures. And one of the ones that's gaining more momentum is this idea of being a benefit corporation. So it's not saying 
we want to be a charity or a nonprofit because there's no way you're going to make a energy company a charity or a nonprofit. But at this energy company and also in companies, big companies and all throughout the uh, S&P 500 are getting activists who are saying uh, you, we should look at changing our uh, corporate structure to a benefit corporation. And all that really means is that you don't change like the underlying, are you a C corp or an S corp or you know whatever. It's more this layering on of legal protection really for management to say that we can make decisions in how we operate our companies that aren't solely based on economic or profit maximization. Mm -hmm. Um, which means we can make investments, say, in R&D that are maybe not going to pay off for 10 years and not have to worry about getting sued for, you know, making these kind of strategic, you know, investments. And probably describe that a little bit too simplistically, but it goes all the way back to the early 1900s. There was this famous case. You, know, you guys are probably very familiar with Dodge and Ford and these the big motor companies. Well, the Dodge brothers had an iconic dispute with Henry Ford, whose business idea was that I want to create a car that everybody can afford so that everybody will drive cars and will create this industry. Well, the Dodge brothers said, no, 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 no. We're not going to make this cheap car. We are going to, or we're going to have a different uh, business model. And our business model um, is really to take out the profits from the company. And, you know, we're going to kind of take money out instead of investing in larger assembly lines or in paying workers better so that they can produce more and that kind of thing. They're like they were much think about it as the quintessential case that says this is a short-term view of business, mm -hmm. this is a long-term view of business. Mm -hmm. And we are in corporate America still living with that. It was a it it is um there's no legal requirement that says you have to maximize at all costs, but it becomes part of a management culture and yeah. it becomes part of a, the way we teach people how to do business. One of the other things I do in my life is that I teach finance. And so I know how we train people to understand finance because I teach the tools of finance. I can maximize just about anything. It yeah. um, doesn't always get you to the end result that you want, um, but I can teach you how to do it. And it, it hasn't been until, you know, this last you know generation that has kind of come into business school with this idea that we owe something to each other mm -hmm. um, because before it was a totally different mindset. And so as, you know, we're dying off or retiring, you know, others will come in with this different idea. And so that's where I see it going. It's, a, it's not something that will change immediately unless you're absolutely, totally crazy mm -hmm. or courageous. Um, and sometimes I think the most courageous people sometimes will be called crazy. But, you know, those are the visionaries that say we're going to do it a different way. So there you have it. That's pretty cool. Is there is there anything that you would like to talk about that I didn't ask you or uh, touched on? Yeah, I want to talk about my podcast. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this will give you something to listen to while you're working out. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think that um, what we were trying to do was to create a way to talk about business that uh, focused on the social and moral value of business because there are all kinds of business shows, and your clients may be, you know, business junkies. You know, it's like I've got to watch Squawk Box or CNBC yeah. or Bloomberg or, you know, whatever. A lot of what we talk about you would never find on those shows because because we're looking at it differently. You know, I had the guy who uh, was the special master of the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. Mm -hmm. 
what is a special master? This is the guy that Congress and the President of the United States gave a blank checkbook to after 9-11. And we're getting ready to have the 20th anniversary, unfortunately, of 9-11. And he listened to all of the victims' stories and oh, wow. basically decided what the compensation would be. So actually, let me tell you about a fun project. It's okay. something I got wrapped into uh, back in 2019. I became a advisor to an initiative that was started by the Vatican. Okay. And Pope Francis said, look, we have a real need in the world to kind of rethink kind of capitalism or our economic models. And so he christened this idea called the Economy of Francesco. Yeah. And what it is, it's a movement of young entrepreneurs, uh, economists, and change makers from around the world who decided that they wanted to join this adventure. And they've organized themselves into 12 different villages, and each village takes on a different theme. And so um, I say young people. So it's, you know, basically after college until like your mid 30s, you're starting to become older. Um, and now here I am, it just turned 50. So they asked me, they said, will you be a senior advisor, which basically means you're the grown up in the room because you've got experience and, um, and a network of contacts. And so um, just help them along on their adventure. And so that's what led us to this um, oil company shareholder meeting. But I've also gotten involved with um, a project called the Farms of Francesco. Nice. And basically what it is is to do demonstration farms. And uh, the idea is every country of the world that enable the basically training, not only in agricultural principles, but also business principles and you know the development of the whole person and so being a farmer has a lot of different dimensions and you know it become it's that's truly when your job becomes who you are uh, because you don't travel because you need to tend to the the crops so you become and Roberta McDonald uh, from Cabot Creamery who had been on the what does it profit podcast um, talked about this it's like these farmers become the the anchors and the volunteers in their community and so with the economy of Francesco and these uh, these farms or these demonstration farms we're trying to show that um, regenerative agricultural programs can be possible. And so there's a demonstration farm right now in Brazil and one in Nigeria, and they're looking at finding ways to use surplus uh, church property from around the world. It's the largest landholder on earth. Yeah. Um, uh, much more productively. And so, um, you know, that's some of the kind of stuff that I get to do um, in the work that I do. So, um, and we talk about it on the show. My point is that I try to bring a variety of different voices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could talk about some of the past voices. I mentioned this fellow from the 9-11 Commission, but, you know, I had the, um, the money man behind the Medellin drug cartel. And it's not the guys you guys are seeing on Netflix. These are like the original guys, uh, Pablo Escobar and that whole generation. Yeah. And most of them are not still alive. And so I talk with this fellow who at, you know, he's later in life now, he's actually survived this, had a couple of tours through prison and, you know, totally changed, turned his life around. But he started out life as the youngest banker at the Federal Reserve in Miami. Oh, wow. And how does he end up doing this? Listen to my show. Um, <laughs> so, but but next season's going to launch in September, and I'm going to have Captain Mike Simpkins. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Captain Mike, but he became famous for a bit uh, because he was a pilot, a commercial airline pilot, who stood up to a European airline when he was too tired to fly. And he said, you know, look, I've 
I have these hours in, you know, it's not safe for me to fly. And actually the data showed that the amount of flying that he had done continuously was the equivalent of being drunk. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine a whole sky of drunk pilots? It's like, no. And it wasn't until at risk of his career, he said, no, I am not flying today. These 250 people on this plane are not safe if I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And so they had to cancel the flight. Well, when you cancel a flight, it causes huge problems. But you know, this pilot said it's every, I think in in his, uh, there's a quote at the beginning of his book. It's, his book's something like Ripping the, the Wings Off Butterflies or something like that's brilliant title. But, um, you know, he says something like every airline crash um, is the fault of the pilot. Yeah. It could have been poor maintenance, could have been weather, but it's the fault of the pilot. And he said, it's, I need to, you need to trust. It's all about trust. So I'm really looking forward to bringing his voice into next season. We're also going to be talking to a fellow who works in the virtual reality space. And what he has done is that he has found a way to use um, technology to identify traffic children through looking at images. Like right now when uh, law enforcement looks at pornographic images um, that have children in them, uh, they try to identify, sometimes to try to find a missing child, sometimes to shut down trafficking rings or for whatever reasons. But the technology that exists now in the VR space allows that to be done much more efficiently and helps the human beings whose job it is. Could you imagine if it was your job to look at kitty porn all day? It would be yeah, horrible. Be, yeah. And it, it burns people out and they don't last very long. And it, it's just, it's not efficient. But if we could use technology to look at literally, I kid you not, millions of images, you know, it, it's a game changer. And so, um, so we're going to talk with him about his company. And so those are the kinds of voices that we're trying to, uh, to bring out to say, when we talk about social and moral value, you ask some really interesting questions during this interview, you know, about businesses responsibility. I'm saying to the world, these businesses are made up of people and yeah. there are brave people. I was on another show where they kind of looked at the work that I was doing and they gave a great way to describe it. They said, Dr. Don, you're looking for the angels of capitalism. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. That's what we're looking for because there are plenty of stories to talk about the bad stuff. Yeah. But I want to show that there are people who are courageous, who are visionaries, who are truth tellers that are out there trying to do great work. And I want it to inspire other people to say, when they ask the question, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. They can be really proud of what they're saying. It doesn't have to be changing an industry or whatever. You know, change begins with you. You know, it's like what you do in the fitness world. It's like it, it all comes from you. And uh, what I'm saying in the world of work is that it all comes from you. So what would be your advice for uh, someone who is uh, listening to this podcast and is trying to, to uh, be a visionary or be an angel in their own way, right? What, what, what would be your, your advice for someone like that? Sleep well, eat well, exercise well, read constantly. Uh, you don't have to read deep theology or um, philosophy or anything like that. I mean, listen to some smart podcasts if you want, but always continue to learn. Learn something, whether it's new knowledge or new skills, uh, because that's how you bring value into the world. Your value isn't increased by consuming 
other people's the stuff other people want to sell you unless they're selling you things that help you become a better you mm -hmm. and sometimes you know so i'm not saying go be a workaholic because there's this times where we need to relax and recharge i mean you talked about the importance of this mm -hmm. but think about how you spend your leisure time and just know that no one's guaranteed a tomorrow so you're gonna have to figure out is this the kind of life that you want that's awesome i uh i listen to my books does that count Totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah, because you can consume more books. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. You don't get me started. It's like I, I love uh, Google Read and Write. That's yeah, how yeah, I got that's... through my doctorate is I would put the PDFs of journal articles in Google Read and Write, and um, it goes faster than I normally read. So I would then just kind of highlight, follow it along. So I increased my reading fluency and efficiency. So do whatever it takes to get it into you so that you can use your own agency to figure out what it means for how you can apply it to your life or you know how you can help somebody else and even if it's reading like fiction i mean you know, i was talking about this artist mm -hmm. um barbara kruger go to an art museum i mean yeah. listen uh, listen to music i mean i in my finance class we call it finance mojo songs because um, i think musicians have said beautiful and poetic things about what money means um so don't limit yourself you can find knowledge Everywhere you find knowledge in nature, you know. Open the window, listen to what the birds have to say. Yeah, speaking or about the cicadas. Yeah, the cicadas. Yeah. <laughs> speaking, speaking about music, uh, you were singing a song, uh, or was it uh, earlier uh, before, which was like pretty awesome too. So yeah, the music is is definitely uh, uh, one of them. I wasn't expecting those advice, but those those are really good advice actually. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's well, thanks for asking me the question. <laughs> Do you have a mojo song? I, I, I don't know if I have a mojo song. You know, it's so funny. I don't even have a, a favorite color or a favorite food. I think, or a favorite song. I think I just, I like to experience something I haven't had before. And just a quick background. When I first moved to the U.S., for some reason, I was just on this kick. And I was just doing everything I haven't done before. Okay. I've never been hiking before. I want to go hiking. I've never been golfing before. I want to go golfing. I've picked those things up. I've never been fishing before. I want to go fishing. I've never been kayaking before. Probably I shouldn't have gone on the... I'm the Potomac the River? The Potomac River, oh, yeah. You didn't do the Billy Goat Trail, did no, you? No, I didn't do the Billy Goat Oh, that's no. like suicide. Yeah, Forget yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I probably shouldn't have done the Potomac River in Georgetown, but I did it anyway. It was it was cool. But yeah, so I, I just like to experience new things. So that would be my, uh, I guess, if I if it clicks, then it clicks. That would be oh, my yeah, song, yeah. You're, you're living life. That's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> totally good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you. My uh, pleasure chatting with me hopefully maybe we can do this again if whenever you're free i know you're really busy oh any anytime you want so we'll do it over a workout okay for sure yeah <laughs> thank you so much thanks for having me